Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupasinghe. Hello, listeners. Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking with someone who is widely regarded a pioneer in diversity and women in leadership and an explorer of the application of mindfulness in leadership. Her research and teaching covers topics including leadership, change and identity. She's a professorial fellow and my guest today on the MBS podcast, Amanda Sinclair. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you very much, Yes, It's a real pleasure to be with you. Oh, I'm so pleased. Amanda, let's talk about your research into what you call embodied leadership. You've written about something called embodied care and self-care in leadership. What do you mean by that? So the evidence is that with these dramatic sort of changes in society and organisations, and it's, I mean, they've been very pointed and very uh, palpable over the last 12 months with COVID, of course, but we've been undergoing dramatic and radical changes in working conditions in organisational life for some decades. And old models of leadership, you know, the idea that uh, leaders needed to have all the answers, they needed to stand out the front and tell people where to go, they needed to pull the levers of organisations, they are really inadequate and inappropriate in, in these new conditions. What I've argued over, over many years now, and with some fresh evidence, uh, you know, through the last couple of uh, months, and is that leaders need to be able to build cultures of care for their employees, for their clients and customers, for their stakeholders. So this idea is not that leaders need to just get soft and much nicer with everybody. It's it's much more about developing new skills of paying attention to the well-being of people that leaders interact with. Um, and you know, one of the key moments for me in terms of um, coming to these very different views of leadership have been, you know, my own observations and also my own experience as a leader in the university and business school context, that when you watch uh, how sort of traditional leaders behave, it's often a very sort of punishing kind of process. You know, they've got to be very tough, they can't show emotion, they've got to be very certain. And what that does is sort of inflict in turn a lot of... Um, a lot of suffering, uh, not just on themselves often, but on the people who work around them, this idea that you've got to work around the clock, that it just comes with the territory of leadership. So I've been really interested in exploring how this different approach to leadership might be put in place. And again, for my own, uh, I've been very inspired by a lot of Eastern philosophy around this and particularly observing and, and reading, you know, uh, Eastern leaders, uh, for example, the Dalai Lama, I can remember very powerfully uh, reading his statement about what the role of a leader was. And he said, it is the role of the leader to create a strong and warm heart for an organisation and to see things as they really are. And for me, that was just such a profoundly different view of what our leaders could be doing, might be doing. And, uh, you know, my sense is that in the last six months or so, we've actually seen quite a few examples of this. 
And so I, I, I also feel hopeful uh, that there's been a lot of, uh, you know, adaption and innovation in the area as well happening. Sure, sure. It's certainly very exciting. Thinking about embodied care, do you think it relates more to women or anyone in particular? Yeah, it's a great question. And of course, traditionally, our understanding of what care was all about, you know, was a very, it was often a very feminised picture. It was a something we associated with mothers, with care workers like uh, nurses and those uh, occupations, uh, you know, traditionally associated with women. But what we're also seeing is that uh, it's so important for men to step, in, step into this space. And as I was saying earlier, I'm seeing some fascinating innovation with that because all of our statistics uh, tell us, you know, the mental health statistics, um, the suicide statistics, all of those um, pieces of evidence tell us that it is often men who are suffering more. And uh, there is just such an opportunity for men to step into this space of believing that they can care for others, not just um, uh, men, of course, but women and men. They can uh, build that identity, that sense of themselves as providing value, not just through their head and their, you know, their capacity to go out and, you know, do the conventional work, if you like, building things and 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 so on. But it is, uh, you know, it is in they have got the capacity to really contribute in this other way. And I think some of the innovation, uh, you know, I've been watching, for example, the two leaders of Atlassian, the two men leading that amazingly successful entrepreneurial company. And in a very real way, they demonstrate a lot of attention and care to, uh, you know, to the people that are working for them, to the way they build the business. I think it's a radically different model. And, um, Having said that, you know, I, I think men have often not been socialised to care um, and, and how we learn about how to care is, you know, from how we've been cared for ourselves. So for, for men, it often is a sort of a, uh, a, a different kind of journey to awaken that part of them. I mean, the other example I, I sometimes give, it's fascinating to watch very successful to, or to have watched very successful football teams, sporting teams over the last couple of years and the language that coaches use with their teams are very different now. They actually talk about the importance of self-care, of even love for their, uh, their colleagues, for their supporters and how to, how to build that, how to build that as a a fantastic uh, resource and source of strength and uh, resilience. That's really interesting and, and good to hear that those changes in language are coming into play now. It's exciting stuff. But can you break it down for us a bit more, Amanda? How does embodied care actually work? So another great question, and, and again, I think it's important to kind of put aside our stereotypes of what, you know, what we think care is about and really look wider and more innovatively. I, I, I think my own observation is that care in leadership looks like uh, being prepared to show our humanness. And my, you know, we've seen a lot of that through COVID, haven't we? 
So, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing our leaders sitting in their studies or at their dining room tables. Uh, we're seeing them, you know, throw off their suits. Uh, we're seeing them wear less makeup and less, less worried about how they're looking. And so the power distance, the power distance between these authority figures and the people sitting at home equally, you know, with the kids coming in and being interrupted, it's just evaporating. And so what that potentially does is, is great things. I mean, it, it enables people to speak up more, to express more. And so if leaders are really listening and being open, they can deliver a lot of fantastic uh, care just through their attentiveness, through the qualities of their listening, through their own preparedness to be human and open to the emotions that they're feeling. So all of those things I think we're, we're kind of seeing. Um, there are, of course, some risks that are around. Um, and, you know, one of those would be that um, the, the inauthentic care, if you like, you know, the, the care that can sometimes come across as token. And sort of history, we've got a lot of um, examples in history where care has been used as a pretext for sort of paternalism, you know, for saying, look, I know what you need. Right. <laughs> and, and every time I hear a leader, and I'm talking probably more political leaders here, say our prayers go out to you, I, I, I bristle, you know, uh, that, that doesn't feel authentic to me, and especially coming from some leaders, of course. So it has to be, it has to be real. <laughs> It has to come from a felt place uh, in the heart. I think it can't be put on. So there are some, some issues around, around delivering it. And as I was saying earlier, I think for some of us, we've got to kind of build it. Uh, we've, we've got to learn how to do it. We've got to learn how to value our own caring capability and our capacity for compassion for ourselves as well as others. So I think it is a, uh, it is a journey in that sense. Absolutely. On that, is, is there a difference between what we called embodied care and self-care? I believe there is, but, and you know, I, I developed a real interest in this when we we're all face-to-face, -face. and I always made an argument that physical presence was so important uh, in leadership, and I, I continue to believe that. You know, an example I sometimes uh, give and uh, is a, my colleague, a former police commissioner, um, Christine Nixon. And she was the chair of the Bushfire Reconstruction Authority in after the 2009 bushfires. And, you know, after we have fires, it's just so important that leaders get out <laughs> into communities and are out there listening and hear and then act on what's important to affected communities. So we've we've seen that in a series of uh, a series of our you know dramatic natural disasters like the bushfires. We saw it again in the in the recent ones. So I think being there, being physically there, and not telling people things, not assuming you know the solution, but actually really listening and 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 delivering your full presence to individuals is, is vital. So I was, um, you know, when we all went to online working, I was wondering, look, how do, how do you deliver this? How do you deliver this over a screen? But I've actually been 
are quite amazed, and the research is also telling us this, that we can deliver a strong sense of connection to each other over a screen. If we're really here and, and our minds aren't wandering off all over the place, people can feel, yes, I belong. You know, yes, this person is interested in, in my welfare. So I, I've actually been quite surprised uh, by how we're doing that. And, you know, one really great example is um, the use of telehealth um, for mental health uh, issues. Again, I was surprised by, but organisations like Beyond Blue and, and many of the others working in this space are often delivering right, quite powerful levels of care remotely. Yeah, it's it actually seems like in some instances, such as the one you mentioned, that organisations are sometimes able to offer a, a much better and more responsive level of care than they would have in a traditional face-to-face -face model, which I find quite interesting and, and really quite exciting, to be honest. It is exciting. And, and, and again, that's what, you know, the emerging research is telling us is that people actually feel more connected to colleagues yeah. and, and, and to the organisation's values through this process. And, you know, I think it's, it's again, there's an element of skillful leadership happening. You know, people are feeling like they're cared about, uh, that, that, that there's a lot more check-ins, uh, that, that there's, people are making space and time to hear from people and, and, and hearing emotions, hearing the difficult emotions. You know, we're genuinely trying to respond to those things and, and sharing our own sense of anxiety and uncertainty more. So all of that just adds up, I think, to a, a potentially quite powerful experience and a very potentially supportive experience for uh, employees and, and clients. So let's go a little bit deeper here, Amanda. Can you tell me what you think about this? I'm wondering, how does embodied care relate to ethical judgments? So... The field of ethics and particularly sort of leadership ethics and ethics in business, in my view, has been way too dominated by a certain view of uh, what's ethical. I mean, it, it goes to that question. And there's been, uh, in a sense, a view that an ethical perspective is one that is very uh, carefully and rationally thought through, that where all the perspectives are weighed up and you come up with a calculation that benefits, uh, you know, the most stakeholders. Seems logical. Seems logical, seems logical. But in fact, there's been a, a whole tradition of alternative theorising about ethics that has been much more interested in what's, what's known as uh, the ethics of care or it, one theorist calls it corporeal generosity, which actually means our physical generosity, our generosity <laughs> expressed in a, in a more embodied way. Right. And what this whole tradition says is that we've skewed it too much towards the mind and the rational cognitive uh, weighing mind. And we need to pay attention more to our capacity uh, to feel with the heart, to, to, to pay attention to our heart's intelligence and our, the rest, their whole body's intelligence, if you like, 
in terms of understanding what matters to people, how and, and how to alleviate people's suffering. So there is a whole and interesting ethical tradition that says we need to supplement that sort of rational, logical decision-making with this other set of concerns about people. And, and increasingly this notion that, well, and we know it from the, um, the neuroscience and the cognitive science, that our heart is often a very important source of intelligence. It's not just our brain, yeah. it's our heart. <laughs> you know, our heart has neural, you know, has a neural makeup as well as our gut. Uh, which is also, you know, sometimes called the second brain. There's a lot of intelligence in us that that can help guide us through ethical uh, ethical decision making and ethical responses. That is about care and and giving people proper attention. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be drawn from that. Amanda, before we wrap up for today, I wanted to ask if you had any other particular advice that you might like to offer our listeners, perhaps the leaders in our in our community who might be looking for ways that they can innovate or, or do better or tap into their humanity or whatever it may be, something that can help them serve their communities better. That's a lovely question. So I guess the first thing is around connecting with your own humanness and, and emotion. You know, an old template of leadership is that you sort of park your emotions and, and you do the tough things, you, you, you make the tough decisions. And there's a lot of value for leaders in allowing emotions uh, and allowing and recognising that emotions are just part of being human, let alone coping with uh, the conditions that we're, we're coping with at the moment. So uh, that is certainly one thing. A second thing is to recognise that in terms of that the value that they bring, it's, it's a different kind of value in my view. The leadership task has utterly changed. And so it's not about coming up with an elegant strategy for me anymore. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, at the moment that feels quite a, a small part of the leadership task. The bigger part is about allowing that we can play a very powerful supportive role to, to our communities, our organisational communities and, their, and, and our wider uh, communities uh, by, being, uh, by being caring, by being attentive to what matters, to reminding people what matters I was listening to a CEO uh, just recently and this was a, a regular gathering of executives and he actually invited one of uh, the employees just to talk about their experience at the moment, their experience. And I thought, wow. <laughs> um, so that notion of listening to how people are faring, not necessarily fixing uh, or feeling as though you have to fix, the listening in itself is very powerful and signals that it, it's very valuable uh, for leaders to pay attention to those things. So that requires a kind of a reminder that we can offer huge value to others because of the positions we're in. And it's not the conventional kind of value that we might be looking, uh, that we might be thinking about. It is this, this other area of, 
working with the heart, really, working more with our hearts <laughs> as well as our heads. Yeah, that sounds like something that all of us can do, not just the leaders uh, in our businesses and communities. So interesting. Amanda, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You've shared with us some really important and useful insights and topics for us to apply in our leadership and in our lives. I really appreciate your work. Thanks again. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.